0: Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me, devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios, Life Radio, Chico 104.5 and AM 930. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but I have been a photographer for over 30 years. If a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 original images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me, by Harvest House Publishers. Each week, we read one of the essays and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of scripture. This week's essay is A Forgiven Person by Bob George, who is the best-selling author of Classic Christianity, Growing in Grace, and Victory Over Depression. Formerly, he was with People to People Ministries, which he founded, and of which he was president for over 30 years. He was unable to continue Their daily nationwide biblical counseling broadcast, due to illness. And Bob currently lives with his wife, Amy, in Texas. You can visit him at bobgeorge.net. And with that, let us begin the essay, A Forgiven Person by Bob George. When Jesus declared from the cross, it is finished, I want to think that he meant what he said. What impact do those words have on your life? What kind of person are you? As a result of those words, are you a person capable of receiving forgiveness? Or are you a forgiven person? I hope that you answer that you're a forgiven person. The divine debt our sin is paid for. Finished! So what does faith say to this fact? It is with gratefulness of heart. O Lord, thank you that I am forever forgiven in your sight because of Jesus. Paul tells us, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. You have forgiveness of sins. It is your present possession, and because of this, you are a forgiven person. Rest in it. When I first realized this tremendous truth, I can't describe this, the, the sense of rest that came into my heart. The completeness of my salvation overwhelm me. It still does, though it's been many years since I came to understand the work of the cross. I still find myself asking, Lord, who am I that you should be mindful of me? The cross is no longer a doctrine in my life. It is life itself. In God's eyes, my forgiveness and redemption is an absolute, not a relative fact. And so is yours. And God wants us to rest in what is finished by him. Christ Jesus has done it all. He took away our sins eternally so that he could provide to us a life that is eternal, his life. And because of his sacrifice, we can know that we have eternal life. Yet we forget and fall back into self-effort our habit of asking for more forgiveness, more redemption, more righteousness, more sanctification has to be replaced with the habit of trusting him. He has done everything for us. Living by faith in this truth is what pleases him. If you've never stopped to ponder how great your salvation is, I want you to take a few moments and thank God your complete, finished, and perfect salvation. You are loved and accepted unconditionally by God. Because of His completed work on the cross, you are a forgiven person and can enjoy the abundant life you have in Him. That ends the essay, A Forgiven Person by Bob George, included in the book, What the Cross Means to Me. There is a poem preceding this essay by E. Stanley Jones, which says, At the heart of the cross, God wrapped his heart in flesh and blood and let it be nailed to the cross for our redemption. Now, the cross image accompanying this essay is the separation, which is an image from the in-between days of my shooting of the cross, meaning even though the entire foreground is in a silhouette, you can see that there is still some grass around the base of the cross. And I have often said that if you see grass around the cross, then you know it was before they broke ground to build the school there. However, in this image, the foreground in front of the cross indicates that this was very soon after they broke ground. What is unique about this image is that in the foreground, you see a series of boulders A whole mix of small, medium, and some very large boulders. Um, But right past that, there's a deep gap or canyon between the foreground and the cross. And since this photo was taken so long after sunset, the area behind the boulders and before the cross creates the illusion of a very impossible chasm in deep darkness. The image creates the illusion of a huge chasm between where you are, the viewer, and the cross. And why the reason for the name The Separation? Well, the first scripture that comes to mind is in 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Which, if you think about it, could be said a different way, as in John 14.6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Meaning, Jesus is not a sacrifice, but the sacrifice. The cross was used as a tool to facilitate this sacrifice. A tool like a bridge, which is a much more effective tool across a body of water than a ferry is. The cross is the bridge across that deep, dark abyss separating us from God. It has the power not just to enable a right relationship with God, but that sanctifies, seals, and solidifies our citizenship in the kingdom of God. And once saved, we are always covered by God's grace. As it says in Romans 8.35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? I say glory to God for removing the separation through His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that image is in line with today's devotion based on Bob's essay, A Forgiven Person. Now, psychologists generally define forgiveness as a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance toward a person or group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness. Just as important as defining what forgiveness is is understanding what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting, nor does it mean condoning or excusing offenses. Though forgiveness can help repair a damaged relationship, it doesn't obligate you to reconcile with that person who harmed you or release them from legal accountability. Now, is that correct? Well, what I just read to you is a very secular perspective, and it does not address a much bigger Biblical question. What does forgiving others mean, and what does forgiving yourself mean? I agree, forgiveness is often defined as a deliberate decision to let go of feelings of anger, resentment, and retribution towards someone who you believed has wronged you. However, while you should, biblically, be quite generous in your ability to forgive others, you may be much harder on yourself. Everyone makes mistakes, but learning how to learn from these errors, to let go, to move on, and to forgive yourself is important for mental health, spiritual health, and well-being in all the contexts, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Now, self-forgiveness is not about letting yourself off the hook, nor is it a sign of weakness. Forgiveness means that you accept the behavior. You accept what has happened. And you are willing to move past it and move on with your life without ruminating over past events that can no longer be changed. Let me share with you how I view it. For those of you who listen to this devotional series, you will recall that I often refer to the duality and polarity of light. Why light? Because the waves of light and the waves inside of matter make up everything in our existence and consciousness. These waves, to operate as intended, are always oscillating up to positive and down to negative and back up and down, up and down, over and over and over and over again. Positive, negative. So if the basis of our existence is polarity, then I can say with confidence that life is full of good and bad at the same time. Sure, Chuck Swindoll is often quoted as saying, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. The fact is, there is always good and bad happening to us, and through us, to us and to others, every day and every moment of every day. Sometimes our Adamic nature allows us to react in a negative way, and we offend somebody. Well, to rectify it, we need to take the positive step of asking for forgiveness of the person and to God in our prayers. So if we believe in the overarching premise and expect that everything in life is full of good and bad, then you can and should expect to make mistakes and to sometimes hurt people and to sometimes help inspire and sometimes heal people. These two possibilities are possible at the same time. They're in the same day. There is a song about guarding the words of your mouth that has a line which says, "Let let me not speak. Except to heal. Moreover, if you really have the mindset of learning, learning something, learning anything all the time, even if it is just one thing from a bad experience, then the potential for getting stuck in grief or self-doubt is radically lessened as you focus on the lesson of the experience. If you can get to the point where you expect to make mistakes, but are ready to own up to it, to others and to yourself, and to learn something from it about the world you live in, other people, and yourself, then you can move on. By moving on, do I mean ignoring it or filing it away in some mental filing cabinet? No. That is like running from the wave at the ocean, and at some point, even years later, the wave can catch up to you and knock you down. No, I am suggesting you duck dive right into the wave and prepare for the next wave. Like I said, and like I've been saying, life is full of good and bad, and everything is built on waves or cycles in life. Instead of filing mistakes away, you can make it a part of you You and learn from it if, if you want to. You can't learn from it if you sweep it under the rug. And to live up to the motto of constantly going from good to better or living from good to better, one has to be cognizant of lessons learned in past mistakes. And again, mistakes can be anything, including offending or hurting someone, from our words, and possibly our actions. Most of which, in my humble opinion, stems from reacting to a situation from a perspective of stress, selfishness, sleepiness, or sadness. Being a Christian, though, emulating Jesus, provides us the opportunity to learn from those moments. So when a similar situation arises, you recall that past reaction or poor choice of words in a quick, to intercept it. To emulate Jesus means you try to live out what Jesus said about living in the light and love of the Father. If you recall, he said, and I am paraphrasing, that the kingdom of God is not out there somewhere, but here, in you. If you allow yourself to always be aware and live in it, it has the power to radically change everything. Yes, it is hard, but with With God, all things are possible. When God dwells in you and you live in his kingdom, everything in every moment can change. Through daily or even constant prayer, you can realize that every person you meet is a child of God, or could be they have the breath of God in them. If you came across, let's say an anti-Christian, and they take it out on you, then being in the kingdom reminds you not to react in anger, but in sympathy knowing that the Holy Spirit has been convicting that person and, has, and their, uh, their avoidance to God is a source of their angst. The only right response is words of love and healing, watering gospel seeds that were planted in them, or to plant some seeds in them on your own. And when you live in the moment and are focused in the way you react to everyone you interact with, the mistakes of the past can't find room in your psyche because you are thinking of others more than focused on yourself. So don't focus on who you've wronged or did something negative to in the past. Do something positive to those around you now, every moment of every day, today. Now, all that said, we have not yet really addressed the heart of the essay and to the point Bob is trying to make. And yet part of it does, and it focuses on your choice. On your ability to truly let go and let God. In the essay, Bob asks, are you a person capable of being forgiven or are you a forgiven person? Kind of like when someone is encouraged to believe that they are lovable, not just if you can love, but are you capable of being loved? And the real rub is if you don't like yourself, you can't love yourself. And you'll find it hard to allow someone else to love you. Regarding forgiveness and our God... Micah in seven, eighteen through 19 states, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in a steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all your sins into the depths of the sea. Jesus Christ brought God's plan for forgiveness to completion on the cross. No Old Testament sacrifice or set of religious rules could be followed in accordance worthy enough of the holiness of God. The entire scripture points to the Messiah Christ and his saving act on account of humanity. Acts two thirty eight says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The new life we receive in Christ stems from the forgiveness of our sins. He made a way for us to stand in the presence of God, even though we remain susceptible to sin every day of our lives. Being susceptible, making mistakes or committing sins, does not mean we are susceptible from losing God's grace. Jesus said that when you are born again, that your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. Think about that for a moment. How far is that? If you had to travel from where you are, past the point where Jesus removed your sins to, where would that be and how long would it take to get there? Well, looking at what Jesus said, how far west will you have to go until you get to the east? And if you go east, how long will it take you to you finally arrive at west? I think we are pondering a parable of Jesus here that some may refer to as a trick question. Because no matter how long you go east, you will never be west of east. This means that once Jesus has removed your sins, they are inaccessible, even by you. You have to trust that once you are saved and forgiven, you are covered. God knew and knows that you would, or will, make mistakes, commit sins, and sometimes offend people. If not, would we not need to get rebaptized every day? This is, I believe, why he was incarnated. Jesus was born into this world to live, feel, and be human. He knows the imperfection of mankind and their sinful nature, and yet he still came to take all the sins of the world in him and then was abandoned by his father As the sacrifice was made complete. So there is nothing you have gone through, no sin you have committed, no pain you inflicted or felt, or any sense of abandonment you ever felt that He does not fully understand. Now, God didn't have to forgive us, He chose to. From the beginning, God knew that what tomorrow would bring, and Jesus came to save us from the curse of sin we cannot release ourselves from. Let me repeat that. Jesus came to save us from the curse of sin we cannot release ourselves from. Hmm. Well, Paul wrote in Ephesians 1-7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. God's forgiveness is a manifestation of his grace. He has been gracious to forgive us. That said, God expects us to pay it forward. When we truly grasp the sacrifice Jesus made and the love God has to forgive us, our genuine faith is illustrated in the way we forgive others and forgive each other. And most importantly, forgive ourselves. Let's ponder a couple of truths. My God does not condemn. Romans 8:1. Therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Romans 6:14. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. John 8.36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Second Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. With these verses in mind, are you lugging a load of sin that God has already forgiven? Are you ready to stop living in shame, handcuffed by your regrets? Life is too short to not exchange the freedom of grace, the captivity of unbelief. Allow God to wash the hurt and regret from past sins away with the transforming power of his truth today. And let's pray for an accepting heart that lives in the freedom of God's grace and forgiveness. And don't forget this truth, Luke 7:48, regarding how your forgiveness cannot be lost. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Once Jesus forgave the woman at the well, she was radically changed and forever forgiven. We come to God daily to acknowledge the curse of sin we live under. We all fall short continually, Romans 3.23. I heard Scott Hubbard quoted one time as saying, When you come before God today, in the moments after committing some sin, you do not need to stumble through the forest of guilt and self-reproach. He said, Confess your sin, turn to Jesus, and run into the fields of his forgiveness. Meaning we confess, repent, and continue to work on for the kingdom of God. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That's such a special scripture if you really think about it. In Christ we have a redeemed life. Jesus once and forever paid the price of our sins. Some of you who have been listening to my podcast have heard me encourage to get into a habit of meditating on the Calvary story, the events of that afternoon, all the various phrases Jesus made, and to dwell on its meaning and application for us. In this essay, we are prompted to really ponder the final phrase Jesus uttered, which is, It is finished. Now, Many Bible scholars say that the actual translation from the original text means Jesus said, It is accomplished, meaning the whole point of him being born in the manger and his covert mission on earth was accomplished on the cross. Contemplate what he really meant by that and how it applies and how it can apply to you. To truly live and grow as a forgiven person, you need to accept and walk in the mission accomplished paradigm. It changes everything. Everything there is and nothing you can bring to him, except maybe blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, that he can't forgive. And I contend that is not already forgiven. Remember, prayer does not move God as much as prayer changes us. It is our choice to accept God's gift of forgiveness to all that believe. In Matthew 26, 28, it says, but this is my blood of the covenant, which was poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. God does not force us to acknowledge or confess our sins, nor to believe in Christ Jesus, and the life he came to give us. The covenant of the Old Testament required various sacrifices. The new covenant we now live under is covered by the blood of the spotless lamb, Jesus Christ. The long-awaited Messiah, expected to be a military leader, coming to conquer the enemies of God's chosen people, instead died a brutal death on the cross to save the entire world. As we read in Psalms 130, Verse four, with God, there is forgiveness and not out of reluctance or necessity, but out of the overflow of his broad heart. We don't have to make sacrifices like the people of the Old Testament did, but we do need to believe, accept, and confess our sinfulness daily. In Psalms 32.2, it says, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose spirit is no deceit. It reminds me of the verse I read in last week's episode. For I am not ashamed of his gospel, the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because What may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Darkened? That's interesting. What about darkness? I know what it is not. Darkness is not the opposite of light, but simply the absence of light. Therefore, the blood of Jesus is not the destination, but a process. And I contend that it is an entrance fee to get into the light of God and once there to stay there, once forgiven to stay forgiven. There was a song that I heard, the last line was, though we have sinned, Will stand forgiven. That last line always gets me. It's not someone standing in a street light right under the, the light of the of the lamp. When he says stand in the light of forgiveness, what does it mean to stand? Well, Ephesians six one six thirteen says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done to all having done all to stand, stand firm. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. Philippians 4, 1 Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. In Galatians 5, 1 For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That last one is a key verse. Jesus provides you with true freedom stand firm only you and your choices could return you say by not letting go of your grief guilt or guile but how does one stay in the light when life makes you feel like the weatherman trying to report in the middle of a hurricane hmm well philippians 4 8 says finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there is any excellence if there's anything worthy of praise think about these things the bible says you become what you dwell upon therefore dwell on the love and light of the lord continually now, if you are a christian have you been living in this perspective if not i suggest you meditate on the paradigm of the cross and the phrase jesus said as he passed it is finished why because it removes doubt fear and pain, and provides the faith needed to endure every trial and sacrifice whatever is called of you for the Kingdom of God. Knowing that you are a forgiven person, go and live in that perspective today. If you have not accepted the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you, then I suggest you contemplate on what He did for you. Read the crucifixion accounts in the Bible and consider asking God to refine your soul and heal your heart. Ask Jesus to walk with you and fill you with his love today. And with that, go in grace, and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me, a devotional program, heard every week on KKXX Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, like this essay's image, The Separation, Along with my other verspirations, then check out MagicCross.com on Instagram. That's M A J C R O S S on Instagram. And if your church, youth group, or school would like to learn about how to fundraise through the Magic Cross products, hear other cross podcasts, or read further meditative musings on the cross through the blog, then log on to MagicCross.com. That is M A J I C R O S S. Dot com.